0: Hello there. It's been a hot minute. Um, yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, like the space behind me is a whole bunch bigger. Uh, I have a whole bunch more space. Live from uh, Studio Two. Yeah, I, I actually have space that is dedicated for just this now. Which is well, I shouldn't say just this. It's my office and you know video game room and
1: place where I do
0: all of my things.
1: But yeah, I moved. Hmm. But your wife isn't like you know scantily clad immediately off camera like she used to be. What do you mean? she not?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, she's actually out at a meeting right now, so we'll probably hear her come in at some point, forget that I was actually doing this tonight, wander through the door and go, hey, and then go, oops. Fine. We'll edit and post. It'll be fine. No. No, we'll leave it in. (laughs) I mean our editors are so highly paid. We should get them to do something. So how'd the move go? Um, It's an interesting story. Uh, actually, it's funny because uh, one of the movers actually subscribed to the podcast. That's one of the, that was, that was the deal. Um, <laughs> So they, it was, uh, it was a little bit of a comedy of errors. Uh, the world being what it is. Uh, we were moving on a day when it was raining. Uh, we have an elevator. We told them We told the sort of manager of the company how much stuff we have. It's like, yeah, it's a two-bedroom apartment, but it's full, right? Like, it's not a two-bedroom apartment's worth of stuff. It's a house worth of stuff stuffed into a two-bedroom apartment. Um, We need three guys because there's an elevator, and there's only one, and it's tiny, and we need the long truck, right? Like, 30 or 40-foot straight truck. So they sent two guys and a small truck. Uh, and the two guys were great, you know, shout out Cody. He did a uh, Cody and Logan did a great job, um, but there were only two of them in one tiny little elevator. So when we got we did actually get some help uh, sort of halfway through the afternoon, but Cindy and I were up at five thirty to start organizing stuff and make sure everything was all of our ducks in a row and whatnot. And we had the apartment and a storage locker to move. Uh, and we finished up at ten thirty that night. Without having touched the storage locker, so it was it was a long day. They came back on on Saturday to move the storage locker, so we were a little bit uh, over over deadline and a little bit over budget on the move, which is you know not too much over budget. Like we yeah. budgeted you know X and we were like I don't know like ten percent over it or something. I guess it's fortunate that like you weren't moving far. Yeah, it literally five minute drive. Yeah. So. Yeah, if we were going cross country, there would have there would have been some yelling and screaming. It's actually kind of funny because uh, one of the people who came to help in the afternoon was the warehouse manager of the company, mm-hmm. and uh, and I overheard her on the phone with the uh, oh I don't know like the owner manager whatever, you know basically giving him hell. So yeah, because it was it was a little bit of a bobble. I mean, it was it was the the weather was terrible. Like it was pouring down rain. A bunch of people called in. They were short people. I get it. Right, it happens. Um, you know, and they like we're happy with with the service. Just
2: like every move didn't go perfect.
0: No, hopefully your last one for a while, though. Hopefully my last one ever. Um, I've uh, I've been joking that I carried boxes into this house. I'm getting carried out of this house in a box. So that's that's my plan. Well, congratulations.
2: Thank you. Hard work and lots of luck to get where I am today.
1: Couldn't happen to a better guy. What are you hmm. drinking?
0: I have Land Shark, which was a uh, a housewarming gift from my real estate agent.
1: Hi, Brad. Thanks for the beer. I don't know if he's subscribed or not. If if he does, he's probably not listening. <laughs> just just bully everybody you run into in person over there. Oh, by the way, I, ha- I have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, there was. Um, a friend
0: of ours who uh, who was uh, kind enough to uh, to uh, help us clean the house when we first moved in, shout out Joanne. She was listening to podcasts as she was cleaning the house. I'm like, hey, you know, I have a podcast. And she says, cool, I'll subscribe. And yes. then she looked at the she looked at the
1: subject matter and went, uh, I I'm not interested in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I'm I'm the opposite. Like, I put zero effort into marketing this thing that I do put a little bit of work into. Um, like my D and D crew don't even know I do a podcast and I'd like, oh, I'm totally to them telling once them once a week. And you know, some of the guys at work know, but not, not many of them. <laughs> like, it's just weird. Yeah.
0: I don't know. It's funny. Like I, we we're up to what? 11 subscribers now on YouTube. I haven't yeah, even looked at any get, of the rest of it.
1: Oh, we get like 50, 50, uh, listens per episode just through other like audio formats Twenty-five sort of things a week like we're actually you know i don't want to say we're doing okay because like you were nobody's listening to us but like relative to expectation oh massively with huge. zero effort into to trying oh. to push this out i'm like wow we got more than one and
0: yeah, they're not like,
1: related or married to us so yeah
0: like i mean one person who isn't literally living in the same house as us is listening
1: success absolutely <laughs> Uh, so what do you got on the go tonight? Well, you know, recording this stuff, drinking some... I, I gotta go shopping. I've Uh-oh. basically had this in the... fridge. Well, it's not old that it's, like, bad. It's just it's been in there for, like, three or four weeks, and it's the last two cans. So I've got Moosehead Rattler, different Rattler from last time, and just some leftover Summersbee. Yeah, I gotta go shopping, too. But I,
0: I have a feeling... Uh, based on conversations with Cindy, that I literally do not have an alcohol budget.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm no. People did bring bring a couple of bottles of wine to the housewarming, and uh, and Cindy doesn't drink, so that might be next week or Friday or tomorrow
2: or whenever <laughs> the regularly
1: scheduled recording is. Uh. So, I had an idea for what I thought would be a fun topic today. And I put it in the doc like almost two weeks ago. It was like basically after we finished recording the last session. And then I was listening to a podcast that I listened to on the regular over the weekend. uh, RTFM podcast, Jay's Two Cents. uh, And they basically like by accident tangented into exactly this topic that I wanted to talk about. So, So let's do it better.
0: Oh, well, we won't do it
2: better, but I think
1: it's still still <laughs> worth doing it. I originally deleted the topic off our show doc and I'm like, ah, fuck it. We'll put it back.
0: I mean, like I what's what's the what's the likelihood of crossover listeners besides you? I mean, we have like 25 people who listen. What are the odds yeah. that one of them also listens to the other podcast?
1: Well, yeah. you never know. I just don't want to, you know, do it and sound like I'm ripping another show off. That's my disclaimer, saying I'm aware that this content existed in a recently released episode of a popular podcast, and I listened to it. I mean, if you want to yell at me in the comments, that's fine. Go okay. ahead. But- Wait, do you, do you read the comments? I read one comment. There was a weird thing that happened.
0: Uh, you should play the, the tangent uh, thing here. I haven't actually queued that up yet. Oh, man. I worked I hard on that. I, um, I believe you. Anyway, uh, what was I going to say now? uh comments tangent yeah. tangent alerts <laughs> tangent alert um i was there was somebody who commented i think on episode two on youtube and i replied to the comment and my comments sometimes like my reply to that comment sometimes shows up and sometimes doesn't like hmm. it's very weird
1: anyway YouTube you, has glitches apparently. Had, had you switched to our our YouTube channel account to do it cuz you should no. have access to that?
0: Uh I don't or if I do I don't know. No, it showed up under my account. No, all right. well like I say, sometimes sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. It's not like it was like really deep or or very uh astute or anything. No great loss yeah. if nobody ever reads it. So yeah, I'm sure the that it was content. one of those
1: situations where YouTube's like this account has existed for 9 million years, and this is the first time they've tried to comment on a video. This is obviously spam, and we're going to moderate it into oblivion.
0: <laughs> it's entirely possible. I've, I mean, I've had my YouTube account. Since YouTube? Yeah. yeah. Like, since, since YouTube had a
1: 15-minute limit. Mm-hmm. Remember those days? I do. Funny enough, the topic is sort of kind of related to that, but not really. Cool. Um, I've been doing a little reminiscing in the past couple of weeks. Well, you uh, are old. I am old. So uh, f- for context, uh, my dad passed like eight years ago now. And he was a nerd as well, but like his generation's version of a nerd. And I was just thinking about all the silly dumb shit that I did as a kid with him, like helping out like with work and side gigs and stuff, and because he was an electronics guy, um, technically speaking, a certified electronics engineering technician. Good lord! Uh, but I like, they, was I thought a, they made those up in the nineties. Well, it was actually a, a DeVry degree in the late eighties that he got after getting engineered just before DeVry became a complete joke. They were always a little bit of. But it was like a, a workman's comp thing. He had a, a safe fall on him and like uh, crushed oh. a whole bunch of vertebrae. <laughs> and he was like, I need to get into something else. Because at the, that time he was working like auto industry stuff. And he'd been, you know, in a band on the road forever and ever. Uh, But he did that. Like he was always a hobbyist electronics guy. Like he was the the guy that was just making the weird shit back in the day. And. It wasn't so much that kind of stuff that I got into, but it was the kind of stuff where I look back on it now and I'm like, man, if I told my kids about this stuff, they wouldn't believe me. And I'm not talking about technology that like existed back then that just doesn't get used or exist now, right? Like it's not, ooh, hey, you remember the horse and carriage or, or lawn darts? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know? No, I'm talking about the kind of stuff that like we have analogs for today or the stuff that like, we still do today, but it's just so much easier and we take it for granted. And the 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 stories that I'm sort of thinking about that I was uh, reminiscing about are like the times that I used to climb TV towers with my dad. Now, when I say TV towers, I'm talking about towers that were generally attached to the side of your house or somewhere on your property. And you'd have uh, or would install these fairly large like VHF and then eventually VHF and UHF antennas you know imagine bending a coat hanger into a pretzel and making it you know half the size of a building oh man oh
0: yeah i have i have a a thing and and you and i remember as a kid you'd go out and there would literally be a pole up through the thing and you'd have to turn it and then when i moved in with my dad he had the fancy thing where you'd actually turn the dial But you couldn't turn it all the way around because it would wrap the cables around it and snap them off.
1: So, yeah, so that's part of what I was doing and what I was thinking about that led to thinking about this episode was, A, the antennas, but B, going up and we did a lot of upgrades, either to, like, from static position antennas to antennas with manual or electric rotors. And, like, we had TV back then. We had color TV you know, decades and decades and decades ago, they were CRTs, but like, you know, the 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 basic mechanics of watching TV wasn't significantly different, but there was all of these other subtle inconveniences and in part yes. of the process. So to, to back up and talk about rotor controls, for instance, now, back in the day, not everybody had cable or there was a time where there just wasn't cable or satellite or anything like that. TV was being broadcast from local stations, just kind of like local radio, all over the place. But the problem is, they're not being transmitted with enough gain that you can just stick a wire in the air. I think most young people know that televisions like radios used to have rabbit ear antennas, but they probably know that the same way that like kids these days know what a floppy disk is because the save icon looks like a floppy disk. They've probably seen television icons or logos with well, with rabbit ear antennas it happens a lot in like like retro movies and stuff
0: too or you like watch like back to the future or or you know the goonies for example and it'll yeah. show up in a lot of media
1: yeah but the big fancy futuristic upgrade to rabbit ear antennas these things that were literally yeah. connected to the tv in the same room that sometimes you'd have to go over and wiggle them and reposition them oh to get my better God, signal and you if you held them you would get perfect signal, and as soon as you let go, it's fuzz. Right. So the solution to that problem was these big outdoor antennas. But the problem is, is the towers that were broadcasting all these TV signals were all over the place, different cities, you know, north, south, east, west of you, whatever. The signal and is it, directional. The signal is, it's omnidirectional from a broadcast perspective. But in order to get enough gain to actually watch it, like your antenna had built-in reflectors, so it focused the signal, kind of like a satellite dish would. And that part of it was directional. So you would have to point this big antenna on top of a tower outside your house. And it looked like a conglomeration of rakes. Right. That's exactly what it looked like. (laughs) And so something as simple as watching TV was easy. But like if you wanted to change channels, it was a process. Okay, well, hold on a second there now. Because changing the channel is also a thing that people don't think
0: about anymore. Like I... I I mean, I'm I'm old and old fashioned, but I literally haven't had broadcast TV now for almost twenty years, mm-hmm. right? And when we shut off TV, um, we didn't like switch to streaming or anything immediately. We we had DVDs. Blockbuster was still a thing. There's a thing that mm-hmm. goes on the list. So we would go and rent movies, or we would borrow movies, or we would buy DVDs. And if we we're gonna watch something on TV, it was like you put in a disc or a movie or whatever. But the idea of you know you. And not only that, but you have to get up and go
1: over to the TV and turn a dial. Right? Yeah, like that's or, just there's, weird. There's a and few dumb. things related to that that I want to talk about too. So yeah, let's go back. Old TVs. First of all, you didn't have to turn a dial. Often you had to turn two physical manual dials. Kachunk, kachunk. One was VHF, yeah. and it was but, channels what like two to to thirteen. And yep. then UHF, I think that band technically covered like 14 to 87, but I think most UHF tuners in North American TVs probably topped out at about 50, 55 yeah. or something like that. 60, I think. Yeah, yeah like somewhere that. in there. So you couldn't even just turn one dial, you know, channel one, channel two, channel three, like you'd have this top dial, channel one, and you'd turn it like a fair distance and it would just be ka-chunk. Yeah, Channel, you know, two, three to thirteen, and then you'd have this little UHF dial where the 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 increments between the, oh. the channels were so small, ka chunk ka chunk. And of course, these are mechanical things, so then there'd be a little fine tuning knob beside it. So it was this dance, especially when you had these big outdoor antennas with rotors, because it'd be like, oh, I'm oh. turning it to channel thirteen. Then and the you go and turn had the a rotor. Big effect. Oh yeah. Then you go turn the rotor control. Now imagine a box with a big dial on it. And the dial has an arrow, which is great. Now we're, you know, that's a knob. Everybody's seen a knob, but you turn the knob. You might be watching where one right where you want now. it. Yeah, <laughs> and then inside the knob, there's usually some sort of disc or other indicator which would reflect the position of the the actual antenna rotor. So you'd turn it to here, and then you'd see this dial or disc inside go. And it'd take like twenty seconds to move this thing oh, around God, to the position yes. that you'd turn it to. And it'd drift, and you'd have to recalibrate it every, you know, couple of weeks so that it was accurate. And everybody had little stickers all around the dial for which station you pointed and, to here to get this one. And that was, I can't remember the name of them, but I'm guaranteeing, I guarantee you had these. Do you remember those friggin' cheap label makers that yes. had, like, the orange or red tape yes. that would just sort I of last punch one. from the bottom? Yes, and like Every time you set one up or you move to a different house, you'd have to redo this. You peel your labels all off and you turn your TV on, you go by each channel and you're like, okay, I need to point this thing at Rochester. In Canada, living north of Lake Ontario, we'd often get um, Fox 29. a fair number. yeah, Fox 29, uh, 31. Fox 31. Yeah. So, you know, we'd be pointing south over the lake and we'd try and find the right angle and then tick, 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 tick punch. We'd create this little orange label. Okay, there's, you know, 29, Mine's 31, blue. blah, 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 blah. Stick it on the rotor. And that would be the rough spot that, you know, you'd have to turn it to. So you'd, then you'd turn it, then you'd go over to your TV, you'd start tweaking the fine tuning, try and get the clearest thing you can. Once you run out of options there, you'd go back to the rotor and start adjusting it a little bit left, a little bit right, just to get the clearest signal you possibly oh. could. Because, ah. you know, in those days, so we're talking... Just Jeez. after the days where you had like two or three radios uh or television stations, and those were the ones you listened to uh by this time you know you would probably get where we lived, we probably got four or five v h f stations and maybe a half dozen uh u h f stations sort of spread out maybe were you in the south end of the county uh I was for a while now when we were living uh by the Glenora ferry uh Obviously we had an escarpment in the way, so we couldn't get much of that stuff. So we were only getting like uh Kingston, uh CKWS and uh CJ yeah, had Chatter Repeater uh in the county, so we would get some of that. And if you were very lucky, you got City TV out of Toronto. Yeah, I never never lived anywhere where we had a high enough elevation to get that. And that's the other thing. Like those towers, they were on towers for a reason because like not only did you have to get over things like trees and stuff, but you had to get over the curvature of the Earth. The earth so flat flattened. earthers, yeah, flat earthers, like, why, why do TV towers exist? <laughs>
0: well, they don't anymore
1: because the yeah. Earth flattened. That's right. That's, it that's used, to be,
0: used to be an oblate spheroid, but now it's, now it's flat like a pancake, so we can actually send satellite signals from one side of the, the whole thing to the
1: other. <laughs> So, we, don't, so, we don't actually have to launch satellites. We just throw them over the edge. So we've now spent <laughs> 10 minutes talking about the process of changing channels. Something that, like, today, like, if you have cable television or satellite television, you just, boom, it's a, a new button. channel, boom, it's a new channel, boom, it's a new channel.
3: Or and that entire process,
1: like, got a little bit better so that rotors started, you know, being automated. Uh, you know, there were certain TVs that would communicate with the rotors, sort of like satellite dishes eventually became like c-band satellite dishes that had rams to spin these big dishes around uh, similarly
2: let's go back to
1: getting up and crossing the room to change the channel so we we talked about kachunk kachunk these big sort of tuner dials on these old tvs do you remember sonic remotes Oh, they didn't last very long. But imagine a mechanical remote control that had chimes in it. And it would usually only have about four buttons on the remote, like channel up and down, uh, maybe volume up and down. I don't think volume. But think of a tuning fork that has like different frequencies. Mm -hmm. This is chimes, kind of like a plate on a xylophone. And you'd push the button. It would just tink. You know, it wouldn't be a long chime. It would just tink at a certain frequency. And that would tell the TV to do whatever that is, instead of having infrared oh or something like that. It's like the clapper for your TV. The clapper was on my list <laughs> of things to talk about because we have an analog for that, right? Like we've got yeah, Google assistance and smart home stuff now. And, and, you know, Hey, the, you the, know.
0: the remotes that I remember, cause my grandparents had one that was super cool. It only changed. No, it, it did have a volume thing on the end but it wasn't actually remote. It was like run by cable, but it was like an extension
1: like cord, 30 foot long wire.
0: <laughs> yep. And you had these individual buttons for individual channels, right? And you'd go. Oh, So that
1: was, that was, wasn't it, even it, a remote. That was a, a cable it, converter. Uh,
0: well, it, it had like buttons on it. And I'm trying to remember that. Cause there was another thing that had similar buttons um, there. It's like the, it's like the fan control on the, the range hood, in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. where if you push number one and zero was previously pushed, it would, it would extend it. And then you push number two and number one would come up again, and it would change yeah. the channel, and then you had like a, a volume knob on the side.
1: Well, they had... So here's, here's another thing I want to talk about. Okay, don't let me forget to talk about RF. Okay. But when cable TV first became a thing, Um, it, it didn't work with VHF and UHF the same way that, you know, tuning in stuff out of the air did. You got to put it on channel three. Yeah. You put it on channel two, channel three, or later channel four, and you'd have this other device that would handle the tuning of, uh, what you had coming in. But, you know, I I think a lot of people remember the old school, like remote control, like big sort of led numbers on the front of the cable receiver before that. Yes. There were these big, wooden or faux wooden boxes that would just have like 48 of those buttons that where you push one another one pops up for yep. each one of those channels and then it had a little room above it where you could like with a pen or a marker or something write the name of the channels that you were trying to switch to <laughs> boom, boom so channel channel two was cbc channel four was you know it's just global yeah yeah Again, though, like, you know, your television might have had a remote control at this time, even wireless, but to get up and change the channels, you still had to get up, walk across the room, go back and sit down.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. And commercials. And the thing that gets it like is, I mean, it still exists now. There's still lots of people who have uh, satellite stuff, even though it's going away. The idea that at eight o'clock on Monday night, everyone basically in your town was sitting at home watching Dallas, everyone. Right? I mean, it, it's like if you were a bank robber, it was great because it's it's eight o'clock. You know, everybody's watching whatever the the Monday night eight o'clock thing is. I'm gonna go rob rob a bank. It's, you know, the cops are all watching TV.
1: Ah, <sighs> and then laser discs. Yeah. So you wanted to talk about RF. Yeah. So I think almost nobody understood uh, how things worked back then. So a lot Most of people you don't prob- understand how things work. No, now. no, true enough. But a lot of people probably remember owning something. Maybe it was an old video game console, like an Atari or a Nintendo or, or something like that. Uh, or maybe you had something else that connected to your TV. Certainly, cable converters and and stuff like that. Um, eventually, they had just the little coax cable that you could thread on. But before, you'd have these little adapters that just had like two little fork connectors that you would connect onto the back yes. of the TV. My Commodore sixty four had that. Old old computers did. Now, yep. those weren't connectors in the same sense that like AV connectors or composite connectors work, where it's just sending a signal, what they had to do is fake being a television station. Instead of broadcasting a strong TV signal, an RF signal, radio waves in the air, they would broadcast an extremely weak RF, radio wave signal, over this little wire so that When you're tuning into channel three or you're tuning into channel four it's not taking audio or video it's tuning into what the radio frequency of that channel would be and because you've got these little wires connected to it it would pick it up as if it was picking it up out of an antenna and that's why you had the channel selector because if you happen to have a channel two or channel three or channel four in your local broadcast area and you wanted to be able to watch it while having this RF connector uh, in place, because usually it'd have some sort of pass-through that you would connect your other device to so that your cable could still go through it or your antenna, you wanted to be able to find whatever channel it was that didn't have something on it and use that for your Commodore 64 or your Atari or whatever. Or your Super Nintendo Charmers. Yeah, because TVs didn't have connectors for analog audio and video. Never mind digital connectors. Never mind HDMI. Uh, (laughs) You had had a house full of all of these itty bitty, tiny uh, radio uh, or television stations broadcasting with just an itty bitty tire, uh, tiny wire of an antenna, and that's also why. I I mean, the United States uh, FTC, CRTC here in Canada were much more sort of stringent about things like rf leakage so like you look in old devices and most of them that have some sort of rf type functionality are like caged in these metal boxes on the inside specifically for that you open up an old nintendo entertainment system and it's over most of the components this big shell of folded steel (laughs) specifically to deal with the fact that what you've got there is a miniature television station Broadcasting over the air. <laughs> because there was no other way to connect it to your television.
0: That's just bonkers. It's pretty crazy. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. No. I was to be honest with you, I've never really been much into hardware. Like I was always much more of a software nerd. Mm-hmm. Um and like mechanical things. Like if if you know, like how does a transmission work? I mean, I know how a transmission works, kind of, sort of.
2: So let's move off of TV
1: and to another thing. You're very passionate about it, and I appreciate that. Oh, I just, like, it's hard to explain to to people that that don't know kids, youths, not even like kid kids. Like, I'm sure there's a significant portion of the younger millennial population that probably never had to deal with this, especially if they weren't living in rural areas. Yeah. Because a lot of this technology held on a lot longer in rural areas.
0: Well, yeah. It it took a long time of
1: like cable television cable. Yeah. Cable. There's, there's still places like where
0: I live right now, for example, I can't get cable.
3: Yep.
1: Satellites were something that rich people had because they didn't have these little dish network style, little KU band mini satellite dishes that would just point at a single satellite or. Have a couple of LNBs on it that would point at two different close satellites. You had these 15 foot and 12 foot big C band oh wire cages that would spin around on rams. Yeah. And pointed at different satellites in the sky that way. And that's how satellite worked. So it wasn't something that everybody had. And when you were living rurally, um, you didn't have cable, which would have been the first sort of common alternative to pulling shit out of the air. Anyway, let's talk about music.
2: Uh-oh.
0: Okay.
1: Well, in today, like, you know, you have things like streaming audio, Spotify playlists, however you happen to listen to music. Go back a little bad. bit. Go back a few generations, you got, you know, you're downloading MP3s on Napster. And I'm then wild. you're, you know, you're using Nero. to to burn it to CDs that you can play in your portable CD players. But before that, I want to talk about the late 80s and early 90s, where often the only cassette player or recorder that people had in the house would have been a mono one that didn't have a way of connecting audio to it. It had a microphone. So you would make mixtapes by listening to the radio and holding the microphone up the speakers if yes. you wanted to get a collection of your favorite songs so that you could listen to them on demand
0: oh man oh and when you the did DJ that right talked, oh i did and when the dj talked over the opening and you're like tarzan dan shut
1: the fuck up <laughs> and and you know eventually it got better like you know it got to the point where if you were fortunate enough to have like a hi-fi stack where you'd have a, a yeah. radio tuner and it'd be connected directly to an equalizer and tape deck so you could record things direct oh, without my God. the or microphone you had to have a speaker. The dual tape
0: deck, so you could actually dub things from tape to tape and then the anti-piracy measures that they put in place for that and you had to cover things, do stuff, get little in-between
1: boxes. And yeah, That wasn't even the most fun part of listening to music back then. I think for me, the most fun part was unless you were again wealthy enough to own, say, uh, one of the early Sony Walkmans. Yeah, if you had which a never a, did. a portable cassette player, like the shitty Casio one that you would get at Giant Tiger for like seventeen dollars, and which, which was like a year's worth of wages at that point. Yeah, batteries were shitty back then, too. Oh, my God, Yeah, Listening to music would be like this. You'd listen to the song that you wanted to listen to once, and it would sound like this. You'd rewind it. You'd listen to the song that you wanted to listen to a second time, and it would sound like this. you rewind it once more to listen to it a third time, and it would sound like this, because the batteries didn't last very long. Like Alkaline batteries weren't even a common thing back then, so you had these these shitty, like, ever-readier store brand batteries that you would buy at Byway or Bargain Heralds. (laughs) Oh, my God. Remember Bargain Heralds? Bargain Heralds had a steakhouse. Ah, dude. (laughs) All right, next episode's got to be the Bargain Heralds episode. Does Bargain Heralds still exist as a steakhouse? Not as a steakhouse, but I do think that there is, uh, near Toronto at least, a couple of, like, surplus stores that still use the brand. So so bargain heralds for those of you that aren't don't, in the know. don't live in Toronto. <laughs> don't live in Toronto or the the Ontario or, you know, Canada. You have your big brands, right? Like Kmart would have been sort of your 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 step below a Zellers back in the day. And then you'd have your sort of like really really budget kind of like if you were really poor, this is where you shopped. Like liquidation centers before liquidation centers really existed and there were brands like byway and then like three steps below that was bargain heralds
0: bargain heralds
1: was so awesome though because they had they had a a bunch of stuff
0: that no one else had and it was all this eclectic weird shit and and herald was i like i don't remember because i was I, i mean i don't remember it very well but I remember like it just being so, so much of an
1: adventure to go into a bargain Herald. Just Google, like if you for a treat, Google the bargain Herald's logo, like that alone is worth the experience. Oh man. Yeah. Funny enough, like half of this old technology that I would got would have come from places like bargain Herald's. Like when I went, you know, Shopping you know to good- go to school, and I needed new shoes. Like, they, they came from Bargain Heralds and they they probably didn't match, right? Like, one was one size bigger than the other, and they were that's why they <laughs> I were need four
0: dollars. I need that. My left foot is actually almost a, a full half size bigger than my right foot. Um, but Bargain Heralds, a good analog today, is it's basically an upscale dollar store, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the dollar store that it that before you know, uh, COVID, when a dollar store actually stuff cost a dollar, and there was always the other dollar store where things went up to 3 or $4. Mm-hmm.
1: That's what But like, yeah, the other like. the other dollar store that also had like clothes and stuff like that, really yeah. cheap, you know? Yeah. And like, if you've ever walked, I don't know what the equivalent is down in the States, but here we have uh, a grocery store called No Frills, which is, it's kind of like a Costco, like you're sort of low-end grocery stores, but the whole shtick is there's no frills, right? So like the floor isn't painted or tiled, it's concrete, and you look up, seeing, you know, just shitty rafters and stuff like that. Now, imagine you abandoned a no frills for 30 years during the middle of an apocalypse and then filled it with junk. And then filled it with <laughs> junk. That's what walking into a Park and Helds was like. Oh. And I guarantee you the first like portable cassette player that I got to listen to music on tapes probably came from Park and Held's. Yeah. It's uh it's pretty I had I remember the the
0: Walkman that everybody had that was super cool when I was in school was like the bright yellow one, with the waterproof, flip, flip, uh, the sport, or whatever it was. Yeah, there
1: was the real ones and then there was all the knockoffs. The Casio oh, I, one I had was the knockoff version of that that you had to yeah. pull the big clip off the front. It like went over the buttons, the, the play, rewind, fast yep. forward buttons. You snapped it open, then it would lift up. You'd snap your, yeah. The yeah. batteries in that thing lasted about, You'd get through one and a
0: half sides of a tape. Oh. and then if you were very lucky, the tape
1: hadn't stretched. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so related to the tape thing, uh, I know you had a different sort of toy situation. It actually might have been slightly after your time, but during the late eighties, especially into the early nineties, there was a lot of toys, kids' toys that were basically just cassette players with fur. Uh, so Teddy Ruxpin, Teddy Ruxpin is sort of the, the, the prime example, and there was a bunch of knockoff stuff like this. Furbies. But going back to like the battery issue, you know, playing music, it would <gasps> slow down time over time again. you get oh, to a point with a Teddy Ruxpin, because his eyes moved. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am summoning the demon of Ruxpin. That's exactly what it was like, because, like, his eyes would move. Some of them, I think, they even lit up in some spots or something like that. The mouth would try and oh, move, and it had just become this, and it would start, ah. like, popping and snapping because the movements weren't very quickly all while whatever you were listening to started to sound like this, and I want to consume your soul, little kid.
0: <laughs> oh, God. And you it's wonder funny, why we all true. ended up,
1: you know the way we did
0: oh god yeah i mean so many of the toys that i mean we grew up with as kids were you know made in a lead factory you know it's uh it's surprising that there are as many sane
1: people our age as there are we we should have all died very young and this thing with batteries and cassette players goes back even further to like record player toys for kids that were battery powered. The batteries would just be bigger because you'd be chucking like 72 D cells into this thing. Well, we talked (laughs) about video games and I talked about my
0: first Pong console. It Didn't even plug into the wall. I mean, it literally took 12 D sized batteries and D sized batteries were like, I don't know, like an hour of a minimum wage job. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, yeah, I mean, I got, I got the Pong thing like well after it was not new. And I could never afford to put batteries in it. Like you'd play two or three games, the batteries would be dead, and it's like, well, it's gonna cost me fifty bucks to uh, to put more batteries in this thing. So,
3: man, eh, no
1: pong for me. So here's another thing. Do everybody knows what voicemail is. Do you remember what voicemail was like back in the day? Oh man, remember having an actual machine that would pick up your phone for you, and it would mm-hmm. like
0: it would actually play the tape. Uh, yeah i remember i remember they would break so this is a funny thing because i actually had a doctor call for a a follow-up appointment a couple of months ago and i had forgotten the message have you ever left a message on my cell phone no i don't think i've ever called your cell phone oh you may have not phone calls ew yeah well anyway i have a story about that too but i had forgotten what the message on my cell phone was because i've i've changed phones i don't know like eight or nine times since i recorded the message i recorded the. Me- i'm 49 now and i recorded the message i think we were still working at stream when i recorded my my message right so it's been damn near 20 years and it literally says i have stepped out of the universe for a moment please leave a message and when i return to the universe i will i'll return your call but i had forgotten that right so this doctor calls And uh, leaves a message, and his message is like, he's basically laughing his ass off, and he says, well, whenever you step back into the universe, this is Dr. So-and-so, and and I'm calling for a follow-up appointment, just give me a call, see you next week. And I'm like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? And then I realized, oh, right, that's that message that I recorded 20 years ago, thinking I'm going to be clever. Oh, and there was a phase
1: where everybody did it, too. Oh, yeah. Everybody tried to come up with these edgy, weird messages. Yeah. You know. And like, sound it,
0: effects and Foley artists and all kinds yeah. of stuff.
1: Like I, yeah. you know we referenced it in another episode, but I even think about like reality bites, right? Like, you've reached the winter of our discontent. Yeah. If you'd like to yeah. hold your name, number and a brief explanation of modern man's existential dilemma. <laughs> <did>. Like what?
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's so
2: Uh-oh. stupid.
1: Like you're locked up. Uh, did
2: I Did you?
1: So I had two other things on my list that I just wanted to bring up related to this old technology, and then we'll just move on. Okay. You know, we're we're cursing our modern technology by talking about the old stuff. Yeah. But the first one is modems. Now, I don't necessarily think anybody's surprised by the fact that In order to connect to the internet back in the day, we had to use dial-up modems, which basically made a phone call and then made a bunch of noises. And that's how data was sent. The ones that I want to specifically mention, and this is sort of similar to how you had to fake a radio or TV station to connect to your television, is the modems where they had a phone cradle in them and you had nice. to pick the handset up off the phone cradle of your phone and place it into the cradle of the modem. I now, remember. there was a reason for it. So way, way back in the day, um, phone providers, so we're talking Ma Bell, AT&T, stuff like that primarily in the States, Bell up here, Uh, They were a little bit more monopolistic in their practices, and because, like, they were the only show in town, they would throw their weight around for things like, who owns the phone wires in your house and the device itself? And it was technically against their terms of use for you to connect a non-Bell or AT&T or whatever device to their phone system. So... You couldn't just have a modem that connect by a phone cable back in the day. I think there was some legislation that may have passed. I I don't know the specifics of it. It didn't take long for things like my first modem wasn't like that. It was like a 900 baud VIC modem. But I had friends that had one of those old things. He was dialing into like a Commodore BBS. I was pick up the handset, throw it in the cradle, press a button. It would dial its own things and you would have to you know set it either to pulse or tone based on whatever your particular phone system used at the time oh my god and you could hear it would try to put these rubber cups up against your handset so that like sound didn't bleed in too much because that would interfere with the signal but it did and if you listen to it you could hear the modem the entire time going squeal you know you could usually hear that yeah you, you could hear that during the initial dial-up process on old computers usually but once the handshake happened that sound would stop being broadcast over your speaker or the modem speaker a pc speaker whatever the fax machine but with those old modems you just you heard it the entire time i remember i had
0: a a, i hesitate to say friend an acquaintance somebody who was a like like the kids of one of my mom's friends, uh, and we, we went to visit them at some point and stayed with them for a couple of days, and I remember they had one of those, and it was a, a Commodore 64 um, that he was dialing into places for, and I thought like, this is so cool, and it was probably like a, a 300 baud modem, you know? Mm-hmm. Downloading a, a floppy disk, like downloading a megabyte would take overnight. You know? Like, now we're into, like, gigabit and
1: faster like you have super fast internet now right like you're on are you on gigabit no no it's just it's cable but it's gigabit down i get like 30 40 megabit up my god that's insane your download is almost as fast
0: or sorry your upload is almost as fast as my download and my download is as as evidenced by this episode is not exactly
1: stable (laughs) so Last thing I want to mention, because this technically still exists, and you probably see them and wonder what they're for. I think everybody remembers cameras back in the day that had film, and then like Polaroids before that, because they're coming back now, right? They're, they're what's they old is cool again. Retro. But there was an entire phase, mostly through the 90s, where disposable cameras were popular. because the process of buying film loading it into your camera, winding it up and wasting some of the film by exposing it as you're winding it across and then having to roll it back into the roll then to take it to get developed was a pain in the ass. And manufacturing and stuff had gotten to the point where making a shitty plastic disposable camera where you opened it, you took your 24 pictures and then you just sent the whole camera back to often just a drugstore to have the or film a little developed, hut. or a little hut, or whatever, was a thing.
0: Here's here's a twist on that, though. Towards the end of that sort of era, all of those disposable cameras were actually digital cameras. Because it was actually cheaper to make a, a disposable digital camera than it was mm-hmm. to actually
1: do film. Yeah. And what an odd thing to get to, honestly. Like... the. the that anybody thought, hey, that's a good idea. Like, you know, we have planned obsolescence and almost everything is disposable uh, nowadays. Yeah. But you don't have single use televisions or single use microwaves. Hey, I want to watch, you know, today's episode of uh, The Last of Us that just came out. Okay, well, I'm going to throw this TV out and go buy a new one now. <laughs>
0: that's an odd concept, though. Can you imagine? Single-use cars where you hop in and you drive to work and then you just throw it in the garbage when you get there. Right? Yeah, and then you buy another one for the trip home.
1: Like that we didn't land on something like cheap cameras that you just rented instead. Yeah. Like or, disposable that, plastic shit
0: cameras. I mean, that is kind of where they got to in the end because, like, you'd send in the digital camera and they would just take your pictures off and then sell the camera again. But, Yeah. Just the idea, the fact that, like, because we're definitely in in very much a sort of a consumer based, you know, like, or or not, not consumer based, but like consumable type of society where it's intended that we will sell you new and more because they're going to break and we know that. Uh, And that, that kind of was the beginning of the, sort of tipping point of that was the idea Mm -hmm. of disposable cameras, disposable things. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't a...
1: It didn't come from the same place, in that like, I think about how laptops are made today, right? And how so many more components are just soldered onto the main board, so your only option if you want to upgrade from 256 uh, meg uh, gigabyte uh, SSD to a 512 or one terabyte is you got to, you know, pay the $6 million in upcharge for yeah. the, you know, $35 worth of extra NAND flash that actually gets baked into it to get that. And that's sort of planned obsolescence and that, you know, like your only choice when that isn't enough is to get a new computer. Yeah. And, you know, you see the the dollars, the monetization rolling in, these disposable cameras cost about the same amount as the equivalent roll of film. Yeah. 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 The nice thing about them is 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 eventually they became like waterproof little things, so they kind of had their own use case. Like you could take them camping, take them out in the boat. And you're not worried about dropping an expensive thirty five mil camera into the lake or something like that. Even if they yep. weren't waterproof, if you did it well. Whatever I wasted twenty dollars as opposed to two thousand dollars for an expensive camera, um, so it came from a different spot, but it still was just a weird spot to get to. Yeah, it's an odd, odd moment or an odd, an odd pushpin to put in the uh, timeline of human existence. Yeah, like you, you know, you think about disposable diapers for a baby. Like, that makes sense, right? It isn't that, hey, you don't want to reuse the cloth one. It's, hey, I don't want to go through the process of cleaning it. Yeah. There's an unpleasant experience there that I'm hoping to avoid. The disposable cameras, the only experience you avoided was...
2: <laughs> yeah. click,
0: and then you had this little roll of film sealed in plastic that you would take
2: to with be, you instead. To
1: be
0: fair um they were slightly they took slightly better pictures than polaroids um but up until that point there weren't there weren't a lot of point and click type cameras and that that actually is something that i think fits neatly into this category is the idea that like when you go to you know take a picture with your cell phone right at umpty bajillion megapixels or whatever it is now Um, you don't go, all right, well, what F-stop do I need? You don't you don't worry about exposure, you don't worry about focus. Mm-hmm. It's just like this is what I want to focus on. You have a couple of different options, like, you know, are you gonna do macro? Are you gonna do deep focus? Is it a portrait type thing, right? Like what what automatic thing am I focusing on? Right. But using a 35 millimeter camera was complicated mm-hmm. because you had to worry about like what is the speed of my film, right? Like how how fast is it going to expose? Mm-hmm. What f-stop do I use with that? And what is the interaction between the f-stop and the type of film that I'm using? In addition to that, you also had to manually focus it and then try and capture whatever it was you were doing, right? Whereas the disposable cameras didn't take as good pictures, but it was literally just
1: click. No, but there was an entire line of like cameras that worked like disposable cameras. That you just took the film in and out of, though, that had all the same feature set, were a little bit, you know, more well made, but like mm-hmm. you just you weren't throwing the lens and everything out every time you wanted to to get new film and and have it developed. Oh, but I didn't know that. Did you ever see yeah. the back end of how they process those cameras? I did. Um, hey, if there's anybody uh young, I don't know if high schools still do it. Probably not. But even as recently as five or ten years ago, I know some high schools had like photography art courses where you'd actually have a black room and you'd deal with developing film. If you ever have a chance to do it, even if it's just black and white photography, I do recommend going through that experience. It's not gonna, you know, break your brain and all of a sudden turn you into like a, a camera hipster, but it is just so bloody cool because it is so involved and you have to like that people imagined this in their brains way back when, cause this technology goes back, you know, a century, not decades. Like more they were a able century. To, oh yeah. But you know, they figure out this process and perfect it, you know, transferring uh, negatives to, to positives and, and your lighting environment and the chemicals involved in developing. And, and it, it's just-, just very cool here's here's the thing that i never got
0: because i never got into photography like i i barely even take photos on my phone um you start with a negative which is 35 millimeters by 35 millimeters and you end up with a poster how does it get there how do do you take from this to that like what's the mechanism to that because i know that there's you know like you float them in chemicals and you do stuff to fix things and and blah 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 Mm -hmm. but how do you actually transfer from one thing to another.
1: Uh, imagine a industrial grade Polaroid camera where you have okay. then reactive paper and you're shining a light almost like a, like a overhead projector pointed down or like a slide projector through the, the, the negative okay. onto photographic paper that you're then exposing in the opposite direction. Okay, no, that makes sense. I knew there had to be
0: some kind of a mechanism, yep. but whenever you see it in movies or TV, or mm-hmm. even um, uh, Destin from Smarter Every Day went went through the process, and he he did a really good explanation of it. Mm-hmm. If you if you don't want to get your hands dirty and you want to learn about it, I suggest you go there.
1: Yeah, um, series of videos that he has on that
0: is great. Yeah, um, but it, like they always they always skip that part it's always like, oh, and here we have, and here we have this giant piece of paper that we're not going to put in this fixative, and then we're going to put in this thing. I'm
1: like, well, how did you get there? Like, and you it's started neat. with a thing this big, and now it's this big. How did you get there? And it's neat, because it's not like blowing up a digital photograph where you've got pixels, and you're just making yeah. pixels bigger, right? Like, you've got this... I mean, it has an inherent resolution, but it's not a pixel-based resolution. You're film negative. Yeah. And shooting on, you know, something it's probably more noticeable in in movie film where you've got something like eight millimeter and, and whatnot scaling up to sort of bigger film, you get better quality in the negative, which allows you to to increase the size, you know, exponentially more and, and still obtain. I think we're getting close now with, with digital cameras, even the ones
0: in phones that you can, you can almost blow it up to the same size as film. Oh,
1: absolutely. <clears throat> uh, absolutely. And, and, it's not just about the the resolution of the optics anymore. The, you know, it's not not even megapixels, like the amount of AI that goes into taking a picture oh. on your phone now to to process that picture and interpret it and try and wrangle admittedly shitty pixel data into something that looks in most cases pretty fantastic when you consider like what you got out of digital cameras even in the early 2000s. It's bonkers yeah it's it's shocking to me
0: how clear and how much i can zoom into photos on my phone because i remember the first the first uh like camera that would come in your phone and everybody was like oh what kind of camera does this phone have what kind of camera does it have i'm like i don't care it makes phone calls because you take a picture and it's like Woo, this is this is some interesting four or five pixel conglomerated <laughs> heap of colors yeah. right Not megapixels,
1: just pixels
0: yeah. And now, like, you take a picture of a moose across a field and you zoom in to find
1: out, like, how many eyelashes does it have? And that's the funny thing about buying cameras now or, or phones now is you're not buying a phone. Most people are buying a camera that also makes phone calls badly. Yeah. Yeah. Because they are really crappy. Yeah. And, you know, most people don't care because, again, phone calls. Ew. ew. Who, who wants to oh. do that?
0: That reminds me of a story. I saw a series of, I think they were tweets. I don't know. Or maybe they're X's now with whatever the elongated muskrat is doing. Um, <laughs> but it was someone someone made a post and it was basically, you know what would be really handy is if you could speak into your phone and it would translate, it would do voice recognition to to sort of translate your voice into a text. And then the person on the other end could take that text and and the phone could read it to them. Right. And then some old person responds to it with what you have just described is called a phone call. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, well, I mean, it's not exactly right, but it is kind of amusing. Because that is, that is, that would be sort of handy. I've, I've actually started using uh, voice recognition for sending texts on my phone because I find that it's more accurate than my
3: typing.
1: Some of that is just, I can't, yeah, I, I, I can't do it. I've tried. Um, I find that it's it's slower, and I see uh my wife predominantly texts like that, and I see her arguing with her phone so hard <laughs> over the 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 speech recognition and stuff where it's just like you're you're mad at your phone, you're having an argument like the way you would at running into an incompetent person in a drive through who can't take your order, you're like, No, no tomatoes, no tomatoes.' Back, back, back. She gets mad. Pizza. And then she gets to the point where she's, you know, sending me messages where I can tell she just gave up and hit send.
3: (laughs) And it just, it all
1: looks, hey, you know what? She's not doing it wrong. I love my wife. It just looks so silly when she's doing it that I can't bring myself to do it. Oh,
0: I yeah. I I don't I don't do it in public, right? I I can't stand people who use speakerphone in public. I can't stand people who talk to their devices in public. I hate people who have like Bluetooth in and they're walking down the street having a conversation. And you're like, are are you, are you a crazy person or are you talking on the phone? I mean, I, I get people have to do it, but I'm old enough now. I have gray in my beard. I'm allowed to be a little cranky um but this reminds me of a thing you're you're talking about being angry at your phone um i had a i had a bad round of golf last week which happens (laughs) golf is hard uh you know and i used to get really really angry about it and somebody it's a quote from somebody and i forget where i heard it i think i heard it on on good good or uh, the golf podcast or um YouTube channels or whatever. And the, uh, the thing was, you're not good enough to be mad.
3: <laughs>
0: right? And it's, it's so true. Like, I'm, I'm a reasonably average golfer. Occasionally, I, I do something brilliant. Like, I have all of the shots. They just don't always work. But it's absolutely true that I am not good enough to be mad at the result of any shot that I hit. Oh, and that that has kind of become a mantra for my life. It's like you're not, you're not good enough at this to actually be angry that it didn't work. You are not good enough at life to
1: be angry that life <laughs> didn't work out. <sighs> All right. Uh, let's breeze through the next topic. Um, oh, do you think we can? Are we capable of that? We'll see. Uh, we talked about the past. I wanted to talk about the future a little bit. Uh, We've done some retro video games, and I actually just have a very brief sort of uh, retro talk that I'll get into. But uh, I wanted to talk about the future of video games Um, and where we think it's going. Uh, Predictions, personal wishes for the technology. Uh, One of the sort of mental exercises I've been having lately is like, for the most part, video games, aside from the ones that take stylistic choices or, or whatnot, but like a through line has been this chase of more pixels. realism, more pixels, look more real, technologies that make things look more real. Yep. And let me be clear, we're not there yet, but I think we're now sufficiently into that point of diminishing returns where the amount of technological investment Isn't going to produce a result that the average person playing the game is going to notice the difference. Like I noticed it even with the RTX stuff nowadays. Ray tracing is a really cool technology. And in its early days, I found some of the ray tracing stuff actually looked worse than the kludgy fake ways of doing it that people had come up with because they'd had a chance to refine that technology for years and years and years. And my understanding of how ray tracing works now is like the, the actual ray tracing portion of it is pretty like low resolution in terms of the number of rays that are being calculated and stuff so i think there will be an evolution there where like a lot of that stuff happens at a, at a higher resolution or definition but i'm not sure that i you know like i you, can your see eye,
0: us going your eyes are going to deteriorate faster than the technology improves well,
1: They already have. Hell, my main computer, I'm still using a 1080p monitor. You know, I've got 4K TVs and people are talking about like 8K stuff. And I'm like, like, are you just throwing processing power out the window at that point? You know, like you could, you could have 8K or you could have like 4K with better color processing and better, you know, Better whatever, like I, I I would choose that option. And when it comes to video games, I guess my question is, if we've hit that sort of tipping point, that critical mass where you're getting diminishing returns out of just trying to chase hyperrealism, what do you think is next?
0: Well, I'm not sure what's next, but my my first thought when you brought this topic up was, I want the world to stop chasing pixels and start making. Games again, right? One of my, uh, I played one of the, yeah, I, I want to say latest Call of Duti'es, but honestly, it's like seven or eight or ten or twelve years since I played one of the Call of, I think it was yeah. Call of Duty Modern Warfare. So that tells you how long ago it was. I think not it was the playing, remade
1: Modern Warfare. The no, original, no, no, the, the original like Call one. of Duty I, Four.
0: Like, like I think two thousand and fifteen, maybe two thousand fourteen. Oh, it's probably um, older than that. It might even be older than that. I don't know. Like I say, the gray in my beard has leached out my brain cells. Uh, But I, I, I was playing the game and I'm like, this game isn't a game. This game is a movie where I occasionally press F to pay respects. You know it's and like don't get me wrong, like it wasn't a bad story it was it was okay. It's just like I wanna play the game, and if the game is me pretending to be an alien with a funny nose jumping on colored cubes, fine, like it doesn't have to be hyper realistic, it doesn't have to be super railroady. It could be like okay, you can't go anywhere else, but no you know, like it moved on from there, right, like I played one of the more recent ish far cry games like it's old enough that they were giving it away for free and that's mm-hmm. why i played it
1: uh, it's far cry four five old three and cheap uh, i think even five has been free recently yeah it's still
0: it's a you know you get tattoos on your arm and you go shoot the guy I, I don't know whatever it's a far cry game i remember the original far cry game and i remember thinking like this is just another unreal tournament and I was playing this one, and I'm like, oh, this is, this is pretty like, realistic, visually speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was much more sort of, of a game. It was like, here are some goals. Mm-hmm. Accomplish them however you want. Uh, which is a, a lot more gamey, right? Where you have you have sort of set outcomes and you have a winning condition. Yeah,
1: and, and all, they're basically all the same now. Like <clears throat> Ubisoft kind of has that formula that applies to yeah. everything they do. Far Cry, it, Assassin's Creed. Sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all the same game, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is a game, right? Whereas for a very, very large number of AAA games, it's not actually a game. Mm -hmm. right it's a set of it's a it's a it's it's like an amusement park ride where you ride down a set of rails and occasionally shoot targets Mm -hmm. or push a button to continue um i watched a thing was it it might have been an h bomber guy video i mean i'm I'm really working through his back catalog um talking about the uh dragon slayer game you remember that where it was like it was a it was a cabinet with a laser disc in it and basically like you know, it's a movie. Don Bluth mm-hmm. did the animation for it um, where it's a movie and it's like you, you hit left or right or arm or leg.
1: Yeah, quick time events without the prompt. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, and like the question in my mind is like, is that a game? It's not really. It's, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure where there's really only one path and every, mm-hmm. every place that you come to only has two
1: choices, left yeah. or right, up or down, jump or yeah. don't. No, it was, and it was a mechanism for eating quarters. It was a slot. Machine, yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. And
0: here's a here's funny thing is that, like, I honestly think that a lot of the games that were mechanisms for for getting you to feed quarters into a machine were better games than the games that we have now because mm-hmm. you had, uh, like, some kind of more of a ticking clock element where it's like, mm-hmm. we're going to find a way to make you lose. Right. So you, you had more of a, a struggle to overcome. And I'm not necessarily saying that's better. Right. I think that the, the, so, the solution that I'm looking for is probably somewhere in between those two things, mm-hmm. where because I, I don't want to go back to games where
1: it's like you have three lives. And if you run out of lives, you start again at the beginning. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, like talking about older games, like Super Mario Brothers 3 is still probably one of the top two or three platformers of all time. Yep. Not because it looked great. And graphics have nothing to do with making yeah, a good looked game pretty good darn darn good for the time but because it you know the core gameplay loop yep is so tight yes
2: so do you think
1: any of the more gimmicky kind of uh, uh, maybe i shouldn't use the word gimmicky but like the experiments that we've had in recent years with things like vr or motion controls or something. Like, I don't think any of those have really pushed into the mainstream, and I'm not convinced that they ever will. So do you think that there might be anything that sort of changes the way we play games? And when I say the way we play games, I mean computer or console, input device, so mouse and keyboard or controller, monitor or TV. I
0: think so, yeah. Um, I watched, uh, I, I don't even remember where I saw it, but it was a, a video of uh, and I always forget his name but he was like the champion snooker player for years and years and years and years um, oh what's his name it's not important anyway so they hooked him up to a, a VR thing to play snooker right? and you basically have two gloves right, and a stick that goes between them so that you feel like you have a pool cue and uh, they hooked him up to the thing and he's, he's, like, he's older now he's like in his late 60s or early 70s Um, and they hooked him up to this thing and he, you know, he hit a couple of shots and it's like, okay, yeah, like this responds as I expected to, the feedback's a little bit, you know, not there because you're not actually hitting a ball. Right. But he's like, this input should give me that output and I'm getting what I want. And they're talking to him and he falls over. Right. And the reason that he fell over was because he tried to lean on the pool table. Mm -hmm. Right. Like they're having a conversation. So he's like, I'm just going to lean on this table. And he, and he fell over. And that's, that's how immersive that was. So, yeah, I think that there's, there's going to become a time probably reasonably soon uh, where we have a different way to interact with things. I think everything has to go through its, you know, like shrink by 90% before it mm-hmm. becomes mainstream because VR goggles right now are ridiculous, right?
1: Yeah, I just wonder. Uh, so I'll give you, give you my story. And and I I I wonder if more people think the way I think. That playing video games isn't about immersive alternate reality. So do you remember when the Wii came out?
2: We had a, I do. a, a Wii I, I in our
1: office, one. right? So we were playing like Wii tennis and stuff like that. We had Wii tennis tournaments that we were organizing just with our, our colleagues at work. I love and bowling. Everybody would get mad at me. I don't think I ever lost and like we had a couple of gamers in the office at the time too but you get all these people that weren't actually gamers so they would come and, and they jumping would, around they're swinging their arms wide like this they're playing Wii tennis as if it's tennis I'm sitting on the couch yeah exactly my feet yep. up I'm barely moving like I've got my my hands resting on my chest and I'm just looking like this Yep. and I'm just, just- destroying them. Because that is a more efficient way to play the game, a less yes. real way to play the game. And I yes. think with things like VR, and you know, I have problems with VR just because of my eyes, right? Like my I'm basically blind. So while some of the newer things have diopter adjustments, like the numbers are not big enough. <laughs> and
2: they, they probably never
1: will be. I think they cap out at like maybe a geez, I want to say that it's probably only like a plus six, I think, on the 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 Sony VR two or whatever's. And I mean, I go, you know, minus 10 in the other direction kind of thing, right? But um, even then, though, like, people play games competitively sometimes. Could you ever see a competitive person or a person that tries to convince themselves they're competitive (laughs) playing what most people are playing as games today, be it the Call of Duties, the Rocket Leagues, the, the... dotas and and league of legends or even mmos and attention like intentionally make doing that less efficient for the sake of making it feel more tangibly real no i'm not sure a large percentage of the population would but um there is always i shouldn't say
0: always there's often a splinter group and i think that's probably what's going to happen is that you'll see games go in one of two directions because uh there's like right now uh like when we well, when I was in school anyway the the sort of there was a bifurcation of people and you're either a jock or a nerd mm-hmm. right and i i kind of fit into both camps badly um and if you think about now like people who actually cuz there's uh, the community that i live in is is crazy cuz there's there's people here who are just like super super into sports of all kinds like there's guys here in their 70s who can they still run marathons Right, like they're biking hundreds of miles a week, right? But I guarantee you that most of them don't play video games, right? And people who play video games typically aren't doing those kinds of activities, just because it it sort of splits. The way that human beings become interested in things kind of Mm -hmm. splits into one of those two things: either I really enjoy pushing myself physically, or I prefer to you know push my brain, Mm -hmm. or I'm more interested in working the small muscles. Um, So I think probably what you'll find is that you'll find uh, like a a bunch of uh, a bunch of hipster dicks and that will probably be you and I doing like old school gaming where you're pushing buttons and moving mouses around and then you'll have the the new school of people who are uh, using sort of gaming as a springboard to actual physical activity. You know, the planet's on fire. People are going to have to start doing major sports indoors. You're going to start to yeah. see like
1: actual sports happen in VR instead of under the sun. Yeah, and you, I guess you're seeing that a little bit already. I just I don't know that it'll ever be like. First of all, doing that is expensive, right? Like, there's an investment in in consuming that, but producing that kind of entertainment is also expensive. I think and you're going to I, see
0: a shift. That's where AI is going to be the biggest thing. Is actually in producing that kind of content. I would not be surprised to see uh, in our in our dotage years to see something like the holodeck actually show up and become a possibility.
1: Yeah. So. And it'll be used for porn. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Like, hypothetically speaking, the holodeck's invented tomorrow and you get a free one. Are you playing a video game in it? Nope. Day one? No. And how many years do you own this holodeck before you're playing something that you might qualify as like a video game? It's like the, like, of all the episodes of Star Trek TNG that involved the holodeck, the worst ones were always the ones where Worf's in there with his batleth doing, you know, badly killing random pig monsters or something like that, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all the, the crew larping and, The 1940s. All right. Or or earlier.
1: I had some more thoughts on this topic, but I, I think we'll skip them and we'll get into some retro stuff.
3: I used to be an adventurer like you.
1: Stay a while and listen. So I know you've played it, and this is why I want to talk about it. I started playing the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Now, to preface this... I've only done the first one. So That's right. It's the only one I got into. I've played all of the Mass Effect games, like, six times at least. I've played, actually, Mass Effect Andromeda, I think, two and a half times. And not many people like that game. I actually think it's, it's, it's okay. I'm struggling with the Legendary Edition. And it's not that like the rose tinted glasses have convinced me that Mass Effect One was a, a better game than it actually is. I mean, I'm seeing the clunkiness and like, you know, the quests are pretty shallow. And like, I'm bouncing around the Citadel at this point, and you know, this guy needs you know, whatever. That's uh, just like go here and you go uh, through a conversation and then you go quests. here. That's fine. I mean, you run into that in new games, but here's where I'm struggling. Whatever they've done, I know that they basically took. What would have been the engine now it was unreal three uh i think most of the games were made on engine but whatever they did for mass effect 3 they basically rebuilt a lot of the first game in it um streamlined some of the combat because like mass effect the first game actually like the dice rolls and stuff were happening in the background more like uh winter nights or knights of the old republic or, or something like that so, like it, while it sort of masqueraded as like an action shooter where you're shooting and aiming at things, there was still a lot of random stuff and, and RPG like mechanics happening, determining success. And I think they've, they've found a happy medium with that. But whatever they've done with the visual engine, I'm playing this game and walking around is making me nauseous in a way that like wearing a VR headset can. Like, I don't know if it's the Bobby. It's not not it's not moving around. It's not like a weird Bobby camera type thing. I don't know what it is. And the only thing that I can liken it to is you have a 4K TV, yeah? Yeah. Do you remember what it was like watching some of the 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 shows that were getting upscaled to 4K? He's watching it in really like crappy HDR, and there's just something about watching old content. That made it feel fake, like yeah, plasticky, and and everything just had like Like frame rates too high. Something, yeah, yeah. There's no motion blur. Yeah, well, that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting with this playing it, where it's just like I'm walking around, and I I I have vertigo issues. Like I don't like heights to the point where playing a lot of my favorite games of all time, like doing platformy, traversy stuff, where you're looking down, and like in the game there's, you know, big pit and you're like, "Oh, I'm going to fall." And I do get that little twinge of vertigo playing those games and I kind of like that. But I'm getting it walking in a straight line across solid ground playing <laughs> Mass Effect 1, <laughs> the legendary version. I installed uh. the original game and uh I I'm playing it at high resolutions and stuff and I don't feel that way playing it.
0: I, I would almost guess that it's frame rate, um but Yeah, Here's an interesting question, or here's a question I'm interested in. Um, How would you compare Mass Effect with Knights of the Old Republic? Knights of the Old Republic for context is the only game, I shouldn't say the only game it's the first game that I ever actually finished, like I 100%ed it Um, and there have been very few since then, like I finished Cyberpunk 2077 one time now and I'm struggling to get through it a second time. And some of that is just because, you know, like New House, I don't have a lot of time and I'm. Yeah, yeah. Lost it.
2: Um, if you played
1: Knights of the Old Republic because you were a Star Wars fan first, and that's what you're expecting out of Mass Effect,
2: you'll probably like it. If you. Enjoyed
1: all the ways that Knights of the Old Republic wasn't Star Wars. You know? Like, because aside from, you know, lightsabers and and you know, words like Jedi and Sith and and some of the, the baggage that goes with it, the Knights of the Old Republic storyline was was not Star Wars, right? Nope. Like it was it was a take on Star Wars and it was fantastic. And if you liked those games, especially Sith Lords, the second. Uh, kotor game
0: i didn't i didn't finish kotor 2 oh
1: well it's worth a revisit especially with the restored content mods um but if you liked it for for the non-star wars reasons then you'll love mass effect uh mass effect one mechanically like i say it was a little bit clunky because it was still kind of kotor like it was kotor taken to the next level and by Mass Effect 2, which is probably one of the best five games ever made, uh-huh. they figured it out. They're like, you know what? Let's turn this into an action game, but not an action game for people that play Halo or or whatnot. Right. And still embrace this amazing world that we've created. You know, it is... it is The world building is quite, quite impressive. I, I need to take another
0: stab at, at Mass Effect 2 because I... I tried to roll right from Mass Effect One into Mass Effect Two and the the difference in the UI and the, the system the controls behind it, a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was just it was just too much to try and process. I've learned this and this should be the same game, but it's very different. hmm it, it threw me threw me for a loop.
1: Yeah, and what I what I would say about Mass Effect is it's one of those games, and this is going back to, you know, talking about the older games, the coin op stuff that had some challenge it is one of those games that you can turn the difficulty down to the easiest setting and not really regret it because there's just so much beyond the core gameplay loop that like, I I mean, I would kill for a show. Like, you know, I've been talking about trying to run like a a TTRPG in the Mass Effect universe, because it is, it is not just an amazing universe, but it is amazing universe for that type of thing for an ensemble cast or a group of players, like you don't need to be the hero. You know, you don't have Jedis and Sith who, you know, like what's who's playing a, well, maybe you'd play a bounty hunter, but like who's playing a, you know, random schmuck with a blaster in a world with Jedis. Yeah. You know, Mass Effect, I mean, you have cool shit that's all like a threat that's plausible that you can deal with. And then the overarching, especially in, in 2 and 3, as you explore the Reapers, the overarching threat, which is so unimaginably over the top, that it's fantastic. Right. And it just explores some neat concepts, too. You know, things about artificial intelligence and and things about creating AI, uh, robots or whatever, and, you know, the concept of... of artificial slaves with uh, the stuff going on with uh, the Geth, for instance. And right. you, you have these things where the Geth are kind of your, your, your enemies in the first game and become a core part of the storyline and, in fact, one of your allies in the next two games. Oh. And, of course, all the actions, like all the choices that you make have mostly a superficial but a tangible impact on the direction the story goes, what allies are going to be there for you at the end of the game, and your decisions in like the first 45 minutes of Mass Effect 1 can shape the narrative in the last hour of Mass Effect 3. I do recommend well, you give it a shot. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to revisit that. All right, uh, you wrote, oh look, it's the consequences of my actions in the show notes. What do you mean? Yeah um okay so this i think the retro
0: gaming thing was originally my idea may not have been but i I remember being very excited about it at least and now i'm looking at like you've made notes about mass effect and all of these things and i was going to play some games and i just i literally haven't i'm like i have nothing to say during this segment but you know like it was the kind of thing where i'm like we should do
1: this and now it's i didn't do it i didn't do my homework I'm sorry. I was I was rewatching parts of John Wick Four the other night. Now that it's it's out digitally, <gasps> I haven't seen it. And it's funny because we tried to get into Hotline Miami, but there is an entire scene in that game which I want to say that they're probably trying to reference a different game, but like recreates that over the top, crazy Hotline Miami ish kind of action shit. That is worth watching the movie alone for just for just that ongoing scene. I mean, Uh John Wick is four is just basically like set piece to set piece to set piece to set piece. They know the story's ridiculous. Four. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they leaned into it. Like they're like, hey, you know what? We know this world we've created is a little bit silly. We know we've basically made John Wick Superman at this point because like he should be dead a million times. Oh, at least. So so let's watch, you know almost three hours of nonstop action where we're, we're torturing this poor character physically beyond points where any human being could possibly survive because it's fun. Yeah. That's the whole point. I love
0: there. There was an interview that, uh, that Keanu Reeves did where it was like, how many John Wick movies are you going to make? And his answer was, I'll keep making them as long as people want to watch them. And I'll yeah. tell you what, he, if that's the case, he will never stop making them because I will watch them as long as he's making them.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if this is going to be the last Keanu movie or not. Uh, he's getting um, older. They, well, they I mean, he was, hey, he was slow in the first John Wick movie. Like, not, I don't know how many people know that he had like a really, really bad spinal injury while doing the Matrix. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, like, i uh, am I'm not sure that it was life threatening, but it was like, you'll be lucky to walk kind of threatening. Like, this could oh. go, you know, one of two ways. And, and he got really, really lucky. And the fact that he's still doing movies like this, where he's doing a lot of his own stunts. And the way they 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 choreograph and, and the action of John Wick is clearly designed to, to you know, still feel like he can do it. Uh, you know what, though? Like, one of the things about John Wick that I really like, and
0: the John Wick sort of style of combat that I really enjoy is rather than hey, I'm super fast and super strong. It's more about I'm in the right place at the right time, right? Like I'm anticipating my opponent more so than I'm just faster and stronger. So, I mean, as much as John Wick is an ultra-violent, just punch him up, it's also a, um, I'm smarter than you rather than I'm stronger than you. I don't know. I I, I appreciate that style of... of choreography more than um because uh jackie chan was very good at that too it's like yeah all of this stuff is happening but i'm just like i'm just a step ahead of you mm-hmm. all the time it's like i'm not not necessarily faster not necessarily stronger i'm just always a little bit ahead of you and i i think that's that's cool yeah i couldn't i couldn't get into hotline miami because i was just i like it the opening music gave me hellish anxiety which is the point <laughs> so they succeeded I just couldn't, I couldn't do it.
1: Yeah. Haven't, I assume you haven't managed to fit any gaming in, in the last couple of weeks. With <sighs>
0: I've played some solitaire.
1: Um, That's pretty
0: much it. That's I loaded retro. up, I loaded up, uh, cyberpunk like one time. And I, like, I literally, since we, since we last, uh, like the last two episodes, I've been trying to play cyberpunk and I literally haven't done the first mission yet. Yeah. I'm not even would... to the point where I'm, I'm at the, uh. At the interview room with with dex and you actually get to meet um oh what's her name the hacker lady yeah Uh,
1: i would i would wait until the the dlc drops because there's a patch that's dropping with it that changes a bunch of the mechanical stuff for even the base game like gear and stats and all of that's changing like there's a fully fleshed out cyberware system that's coming and um, a lot of the environmental stuff like uh, police actually you know like establishing a reputation for yourself and escalating kind of oh no. the cops are upset with you oh now you know you're at the point where Militech's coming after you like I'm interested in seeing how that plays out because it won't just affect the um the new material like it's going to affect the experience of the original game so it's probably worth just waiting. Like, if you're not like, oh, I got to get through that expansion material in the first couple of days, if you're willing to take your time with it. Oh,
0: lordy. Listen, when the DLC comes out, I'm going to be waiting for it to go on sale.
1: Uh, it's actually, it I think it's only 30, 30 some odd bucks that they're selling the DLC for. Nope. Currently, mm-hmm. my budget is
0: $0 <laughs> for video All right, games.
1: Well, we'll have to start a Patreon so that our... Two and a half followers can, can chip in and help you play this Cyberpunk expansion. Oh, my God. We, I
0: have to twist the arm of some millionaires to, to, uh, to follow our Patreon. Start a GoFundMe
1: for my video game addiction. Yeah. you, you were oh. talking to Elongated Muskrat. Is that what you called him earlier? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, maybe he can kick in. Kick some of that sweet, sweet X dollars over to us.
0: I don't think he has any anymore. I think he's losing money hand over fist.
1: Oh, it's so silly. Do you wanna talk about any table talk stuff today, or um, we should actually talk about the one shot that you ran on the weekend. All right. hey, it's part of the show where we talk about all things table talk uh, yeah. mostly d and d' like yes. that's all we're we're kind of playing right now we're um. Into. So just a quick, quick update. My Tuesday night group uh, has been back at it for a couple of weeks. We had a couple of weeks off and um, it's been nice getting back into the swing of things. They've um, between two sessions ago in our last session, uh, we have kind of a campfire chat similar to what you were running for your games and they went off for an entire week. I had, I counted it. I threw it into to my text editor to count words. I had over thirteen thousand words of just rp between characters between sessions to catch up on between sessions it was like that qualifies i think as a novella it's close at that point. yeah like that's beyond short story and into novella territory and it was great but we're not going to get into detail on that we actually ran a one-shot sunday
3: Eh, it was it was
1: fun i enjoyed myself
0: um you know, going up some kind of a super extra elder dragon breeding mother's ass slash cloaca in order to win was an interesting idea. I'm I'm not sure it came off as...
1: No, well, it was okay. I, I expected it to to turn into more. So let me back up and high level it. The, the basic mission and one shots tend to be a little bit more linear because you don't have time to just kind of invent a Explorer. lot of shit so it's a little bit yeah. more on rails and the, the way i go about planning the one shots when i'm running them now this particular series of one shots it's basically the expendables but D. you're part of a team that does crazy shit i do this little mission brief at the beginning that just kind of kicks off the the thing you get that like before a session starts and the mission brief was hey there's a sinkhole is opened up in such and such a place and a bunch of creatures are coming out and taken to the skies and we've been hired to go in and deal with it get into the sinkhole and and deal with it but we can't land you can't get in there so we're going to fly into this thunderstorm you're going to skydive through this cloud filled with dragons until you get to the sinkhole and then go in and deal with it. And what happened is they skydive through, fight some dragons, land in the sinkhole, which turns out to be the asshole of a giant underground beast that's brooding these things. You worked your way in, found the heart, blew it up. I mean, that was the one shot. Yeah.
0: There were, there were a few jokes along cool. the way. Um, I, was, I was playing uh, Dolph Lundgren. Except I uh I was actually playing Rutger Hauer from uh Blade Runner, who was channeling is it HK eighty eight from Knights of the Old Republic? Uh HK forty
1: seven, I think.
0: Yeah, HK forty seven. Yeah.
1: But without the- fingers, yeah. Yeah. None exactly. of that. Uh, you
0: didn't say meatbag once, I don't think. No, I didn't, but it crossed my mind several times. Yeah. Uh
1: Yeah, I don't know. It just—it's one of those things where, like, they either you find the right mix of characters and it's fun, or
2: you you the magic
1: doesn't happen, right? And like the characters there were were individually kind of fun, and you know, for one shots, I'm not forcing a particular theme on people. Just play the character you want to play, have fun with it as an individual, like as an individual player, and if it meshes well, then we'll all, you know. It'll be greater than the sum of its parts. Yep. And I think the mix just fell a little bit flat, and, and that was fine. I still had fun. I I tried something combat-wise with the, the aerial thing, where I wanted to try and create this sort of dynamic moving map thing, where you're having to position yourselves reacting to something that hadn't happened yet. And I don't think that came together in a way that really felt gamey or engaging to me.
0: No, and, not really.
1: It was clever, no. like it was a neat
0: idea, but it was it was a little bit clunky.
1: Yeah, and some of it was just down to bad rolls, right? Like a couple of players tried things like "I'm gonna lasso this dragon's neck and and try and ride it down." Oh, well, you rolled a two. And as much as I want to, I want to give you the opportunity to do that, yet you, you rolled a two. Yeah, it doesn't quite work.
0: <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a little tough. I I really think too that like the uh Sort of the brief was uh, avoid all of the dragons on the way down. Yeah, and um, like the
1: first thing was I'm going to attack not, a dragon, uh, which exactly. of course is going to happen, right? Like I it's, mean, yes, it's a
0: I mean it's D and D. That's what we do. We see a thing, we kill it. Yep. um I do. I did find like the the group worked really well together. It was uh in the the group because they're mostly your Tuesday folks, right? Yeah. Um, and they they obviously had good chemistry together, and I was kind of the fifth wheel. Uh. And I think that it worked out OK, but it was uh, like some technical difficulties made it a little bit, a little they bit did. wonky. We, we had
1: a player that their computer basically blew up in the last little bit. So they were playing on their phone and, and using a manual character sheet, or I think they were on D&D Beyond on their phone, yeah. too. And the audio quality made it a little bit tough there. And then one of the other players has spotty Internet. So kind of like what we were running into recording, they, they turned into the robot for part of the session, too. Yeah. Um, Oh
0: yeah, and the 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 whole thing there is is that I was basically playing as a warforged barbarian um and, you know, being a robot. Uh and I like I thought it it like I thought I did okay, but it wasn't it wasn't as robotic
1: as I was hoping for. Um yeah, that was I just... think I think what got me honestly, I know a lot of people run D&D groups of like 5 or 6 players. I don't like 5. I like 4. Yeah. And and having the even just the fifth person at the table and trying to and it's probably my fault and it comes down to style. Like I, I try to avoid the situations where it's like, okay, it's your turn. All right. Well, I roll 20. Does that hit? Yes, that hits. How much damage is it? Okay, it's the next turn. So I try and and, and talk through turns a little bit and like, okay, you do this and this happens and this is how the creature reacts. And sometimes I'll uh-huh. throw some silly shit in there, but that just Really drags the 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 pacing down with the fifth, and it I I play four regularly, like with with your group normally, uh, and and with my Tuesday group, like it's just always been four, and that's what I'm used to. And I, I realized as I was in that game this weekend that five is just too much for the way I'm doing this, and either I need to adjust or I just need to run with four.
0: Uh, yeah, or I mean, like you have to get characters like I try really hard to do like i'm gonna here's here's all my stuff, right, here's a little bit of flavor, and that's my turn, yeah, right, because if you try and add too much flavor because there's there's four other people who are trying to also play here, yep, um, and if you're not doing something super extra holy shit cool, it's boring for everybody else, right, so it's you know, like, yeah, I make my roles, okay that's that's out of the way because that's just that's just accounting. Like, we mm-hmm. do the accounting, and then, like, I, I drop my funny one-liner, whatever it is, and and move on. Um, most people don't like to do that. Like, I I find a lot of the people that I play with, like, when you're rolling actual dice, they will roll to hit, ask if it hits, roll damage, add it up, ask if they have advantage, ask if they have bonuses, ask if this works, ask... I'm like, roll all of your dice. If you miss all yeah, the most just of don't the
1: count. dice, yeah yeah, and that's one of the nice things about like playing in the, the VTT space is it really does automate a lot of those mechanics if you've got it set up right to, to, to speed that part of it up, no. but yeah, I was just struggling with the pacing of the other stuff where I mean, it's a one shot, and, and the the setup for it is, I want you guys to just be silly and have fun. Yeah, And everybody has their own definition of what silly and fun is. There's no right or wrong, but some of those definitions require a little bit more breathing room. And the way I was running a game of five, that just...
0: I did find, uh, and I don't remember any of their names. And oh my God, if if any of you would listen to this, I'm so sorry, because you were all awesome. Um. But there were there were three ladies and a dude. I think,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, and and the uh, um, I wrote them down. Hang on, I wrote I wrote down names. I did. So I'm not. Sh- Chris, I'm gonna get Lisa them wrong. Kirby Vicky. Yes. Uh, Lisa is Moon Moon, right? Nope. No, that's Vicky. Okay, so that's Vicky. So Vicky, was, so Vicky was was saying Bianca the Bianca the little kitty tabaxi chef person. Yeah. No idea what her actual class was. She was a barbarian too, right? She was a barbarian, yeah. Yeah, and I mean it was more important that she was a chef. Um but the voice that she did when when she was being uh raging? No, the other one.
1: Oh, yeah, great, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was great.
0: Uh Chris the the uh, gnome necro Fillmore, He he did he was he played his character really really well like it was whenever he was talking i'm like I, I get the sense without it being over the top that this is someone who is a little bit inexperienced and has bitten off more than they can chew and really doesn't know what they're doing perfect um uh brain something I can't remember what her screen name was yeah that uh,
1: is lisa so she was playing the well, cleric fighter uh yeah the half orc
0: um was like i just i just remember thinking like are you really a cleric though which i think is like the sort of thrust of her character so that was (laughs) that was on like on point and uh kirby who was playing lil who was a bard she was the one who had the the uh spotty
1: internet also these people she was the one without a computer yeah Yeah. yeah so she's from from great britain uh, yeah. I got a player from Michigan, a player from Vicky, where is she from? I think Pennsylvania area.
3: They're,
1: they're from all over the place. Like, how did you yeah. bring these people together? Well, funny enough, I, I wanted to run a game of my own cause I'd had this sort of campaign setting bottled up and, and, um, you know, you were, you were running a game at the time and I'm like, well, I'm not going to take over because your shit's really good and I want to play it but I wanted to, to start running my own game and I'd lined up some locals. And they all basically bowed out in the last uh, week, save for one. And then I'm like, okay, I'll reach out on some Facebook wo- uh, boards. I'm going to specifically go after people that have limited experience. Start as sort of a noob-friendly thing because it was going to vibe with how I was starting to run the games anyway. And then some of them backed out and it turned out that I had uh, Kirby signed up who had tons of experience. Uh, I had another player that survived maybe four or five sessions. Spotty attendance, I think, had some personal stuff going on. So they decided, you know what? I'm, I'm going to step away from this. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And it basically Kirby knew Vicky uh, through another game, and her game had ended like previous week, just like spontaneously. Their DM was a dick and just said, I'm not doing this anymore. Fuck it. Like well, yeah, we're gonna have an opening at the table if you want to join us. So, I think five or six sessions in, she joined. That's our group. And there you are. Chris is Niagara Falls. Uh, he had dabbled with a, a a game that I don't think was going all that well. Um, and Lisa was a similar situation. I think she'd played a little bit more with another group that was semi regular, but was looking for for a different vibe. And I, you know, they're all. Very different players in their own ways, and it, as a regular campaign group, has been like the best thing I could ask for, honestly. For players, like
0: they seem like I mean, experience aside, they seem like very good players. Like they're they're into it. They're respectful of each other. Um, like they were they were very very casually welcoming to an outside person joining the game which mm-hmm. i appreciated a whole bunch like it wasn't like oh hey we're gonna do a whole bunch of stuff to make you feel welcome it was just like you're you're part of the group yeah now.
1: and they've been uh, hey, they've been bugging me to try and get tanya to to join in on occasional tuesday games and stuff with us and uh i mean i'm not i don't open to it if i can you know make five people kind of feel appropriate but uh no they've they've been Fantastic. And they are into it. Like I say, I'm in mean, 13k bird novella of role playing between sessions. And you saw Vicky posting pictures of her uh, satyr hoof, high heels without the heel boots that she's wearing at a convention. I... I like I literally I, I
0: just to give people who are listening a first of all, yeah. they look fantastic. Like they yeah. look like actual hooves. It's amazing. It's, it's but like, your comment super,
1: was appropriate. Like I literally like, fell on my ass
0: just looking at the picture of them. Oh, I, I sprained my ankle when she posted the picture. Like I'm yeah. literally sitting in a chair and I've sprained
1: my ankle. Like there's no yeah. way I could. Yeah. Imagine, I want to wear them. They're that imagine cool. like elevator platformy boots that should have a spike like that long at the back. And yep. then cut the spike off, so it looks like just a hoof, yeah it's insane there's there's yep. no way this this person's walking around in those, but hey, they're <sighs> passionate about it. She's willing to break a a leg i guess i mean you gotta you gotta suffer for your your art, i suppose um but yeah they were they were incredibly impressive all right uh I'm gonna do a pod bag that is uh related to table talk, and then we'll uh close out the show. I don't think we're gonna go too much longer here but we did have a pod bag question uh hey dungeon masters what's the most elaborate or surprising puzzle you've designed for your players and how did they solve it this Um, is an interesting question because i know my answer isn't going to be an expected answer for this
0: i you know what i'm actually going to answer this question with a puzzle that my wife came up with. because uh, Cindy has run two or three sessions of various things, I strong armed her into into running a session of um, Call of Cthulhu.
1: I think it was you were there. Yeah, for that. we we ran Call of Cthulhu with her. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and she she struggled with it a little bit because she ran the the beginner thing but wanted to stretch it out to like more extra time, so it it <laughs> felt a little bit stretched. But she's done she's done D and D twice, um, both times with like concepts and, and everything that she's like, just created out of nothing. Um, and the one, I don't know if you were in on that game uh, was uh, we, it's hard to wrap your mind around. Um, and we didn't actually solve it. She had to explain it to me when the game was over. Like we actually, we finished things without actually figuring out what was going on, but it was, it was basically we were inside a pyramid that was inside out. Right, which I don't even know how to explain. It, it's mm-hmm. like you you're walking along things, and she's describing things, and this is what it looks like, and then you go through a door and you see this, um, and it's 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 a little bit like bending your mind around the idea that a Möbius strip has like one side and one edge, right? It's mm-hmm. this it's a pyramid, and we know it's a pyramid, but we're inside of a pyramid, but we're actually on the outside of the pyramid. And after she explained to me what was going on, I'm like, oh okay i get it but like we were trying to solve like how to get out of this thing and mm-hmm. the answer was we were already out of it we had to like go inside of it and eventually we just figured out like we go through wherever and break a thing or whatever but we we solved it by accident is how we solved it but the <laughs> puzzle was literally impossible you, you needed a fifth dimension
1: mm-hmm. so I don't run a lot of puzzles. And when I do run like actual puzzle puzzles, what you would think of as puzzles, I typically take the approach that you do, which is I don't have a solution to this puzzle in mind. I'm just going to let you guys try enough cool shit until I'm like, that's awesome. You've, You've solved the puzzle. Yep. But I think the favorite thing that I've done, and it's not an entirely original idea for probably a better example of this, check out Z Bashu's video on Countdown Puzzle. But the basic setup uh, of how the puzzle works is that, like, you do something that triggers a countdown, and everything seems like it's really dangerous. Uh, but the solution <sighs> to the puzzle is to let the countdown get to zero. Right. And everybody stops it before it gets there. Yeah. Yep. So, with my Tuesday group, this is going back to like maybe our third or fourth session. Uh, part of what they had to do in our campaign world, instead of getting the, the, tavern the inn that you guys got the uh the dryad uh they got a house in cliffside which was just sort of the opposite side of town that was haunted and Uh by haunted there was was a temple underground and yada 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 not entirely different than that initial setup that you guys kind of had but there was actually a sort of a manifestation in this house that was haunting it and the house was a weird house where it had like a, a, a weird secure room upstairs. So there was a, a big, almost like a bedroom office type thing. On one side, there was a magic mirror that they could tell was magical because when they looked in it, it was like true sight. So it was seeing things that like, you know, through illusions and stuff like that. And when they, they looked at it, they saw that there was a door on the opposite wall uh, that they couldn't see physically looking at it and examining it. And after doing some examination of the room through this mirror, they realized that the desk on the wall, just sort of adjacent to the door, had a button on it. And when they pushed the button, the the like shutters came down on the windows and the door closed shut firmly. Uh, so it was dark in the room and there was this little stone golem thing on the shelf next to where the door was that just started counting down and taunting them you're in shit now nine eight you better get out you know, now you're fucked six five <laughs> and they didn't go through the process too many times of push the button to stop the countdown but the shenanigans they got into into like okay well i have a familiar that i can do some stuff so we'll i'll summon them we'll lock them in the room we'll go out here and it's like one of them's a soul knife rogue It's like okay well i've got some Some telepathic stuff so I can kind of watch what you're seeing. And it just turned into this anticlimactic but fun situation where they're all panicking outside the room, waiting for the house to explode, (laughs) watching through the eyes of a familiar eagle that's inside the room, ready to explode. And this golem counts down, its eyes are glowing red in the dark, counts down zero, its eyes uh, stop glowing doors come and the door up opens. and the door opens <laughs> <laughs> now that there's a, there's better ways to do that and this is why i say do the, the z bashu video uh because the variation that he does is when you push the button it doesn't stop the countdown it just starts it at the highest number again so 10, 9, 8, 7, you it. hit it at 1. So it becomes like the Lost thing for anybody that's watched Lost, uh, the the station where you had to keep pushing the number at a certain time or you're worried that everything's going to blow up or the world's going to end or whatever. It's kind of like that, where you just kind of got to keep pushing it or let it count down to zero. The way I set mine up, they pushed the button and it just stopped the countdown. So they got time to talk now. Yeah, they were... Like I say, it was 3 or 4 sessions in. I didn't want them worrying about TPK and shit and those kinds of things. We had some newer players at the time and I I, I sort of reduced the anxiety a little bit to give them the opportunity to, to be a little creative with it. it. Was still fun.
0: Yeah. I I really enjoy the idea that um you, like you don't need to have a solution in mind because you can make some really interesting puzzles if you don't worry about how to solve them. Right. Like if you have to have a solution to the
1: puzzle, then,
0: then the puzzles, because if you do that, the puzzle has to be really simple.
1: Yeah. And I, I kind of figured that out, trying to run like canned material, like existing module stuff where it's like, here's a puzzle, and this is the solution and there's three steps and they got to go there and get this and put it there. And it's just like, well, if you How don't do you get step one and it takes 45 minutes to get to that, like, you know, the fun stopped 42 minutes ago. Yep. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's fine to make things like challenging as in like it's going to take a whole bunch of time to do this. Right. Like you you have to assemble the seven parts of the the staff. That's fine. Right. You don't you don't have to hand people the parts of the staff, but you do have to give them a you have to go to the mountains of such and such. And you know, then you have to fight the dragon of the thing and you have to fight the troll under the bridge and you have to do all these things.
1: Yeah. And I, I would almost ha- call that not fun. puzzles, right? Like that's, no. that's, that's more like a quest list at that point. Sure. You know, I think sure. when most people think puzzles, they're like, Ooh, there's, you were standing in a room and there's pillars with symbols on it that seem to think we got to do something because we're trapped in here. And now what do we do? And, you know, oh, yes. we got to decode that this is some strange alien language, and if we twist the pillars at certain angles and, and stand not, on our heads, and they're not aliens; they're interdimensional beings from mm. In the space between spaces. Sure, same thing you, we do every weekend, Pinky. <laughs> well, I was just finishing the rest of the line. You were quoting the fourth Indiana Jones movie, were you not? I, I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah. I hate you. Uh, you know what? Let's wrap <laughs> it up
0: uh, yeah, with some
1: carding gifts. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Anybody want it? Peanut? Nelson? Shane? What gifts do you have for our loyal viewer?
0: Somewhere? Well,
1: I, I have a request for
0: a gift for myself because I'm old and my, my memory is bad. And I don't know what I've actually recommended in this segment. Previously.
1: Uh, we've done it, what, twice? Yeah. It's probably been red letter media both times.
0: (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, it was definitely red letter media once. Um, I can't remember what the other one was
1: anyway, but there is
0: a podcast that I listen to that is really humorous called chasing scratch, which is two guys who are, I think now in their forties, but they start out in their late thirties trying to become scratch golfers. And I think I may have recommended it before, but they are just two entertaining fellas. Um, they uh they are going about becoming better golfers in the least efficient way possible and it's entertaining the whole way. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up because you uh I think that you are uh recommending a music thing if I'm I am. that right um is Moxie Fruvis Bargainville, which is one of two albums that Moxie Fruvis came out with. Ignore all of the the politics and on horrible things that um are happened to and around any and or all of the band members uh
1: the music is fantastic i am recommending music as well Uh, i'm recommending a specific album by a specific canadian band that unless you are a fan of this kind of music or uh Canadian or funny enough, Australian, they were bigger in Australia than they were here. And they made a little splash in the US. Uh, The band is called the tea party. And the album you want to check out is the edges of Twilight from 1995. Now, what makes the tea party so interesting is that they're hard to define as a band and certainly every one of their albums is an evolution of something or other. Uh, But this particular album is a blend of like progressive rock with a lot of, um, I will say, uh, Middle East and, and Indian influences and, and some Asian influences. It's the kind of thing where you have to be receptive to it, or you might think these guys are a bit up their own ass, but don't. Don't listen to it in the background. It's not that kind of music. It's the kind of music that you close your eyes and you you immerse yourself into and and listen to from like the start of the album to the finish. It's a journey. It's one of the most musically intoxicating listening experiences you'll ever have. Now I'm biased because I've been listening to these guys forever, and every once in a while I'll go on a binge. Um, but like, you know, I put this up with the the best of Led Zeppelin and and you know it's it's different than listening to the Beatles like it's a different different taste you know this is this is not something you listen to in a poppy sense um but give it a go um close your eyes you know experience the instrumentation it's it's almost like blues in that there's something about blues where like every note good blues is played because it's the note that needs to be played at that time. Like it's it's the right thing. It has a reason for existing, and this is not blues musically, but it almost has that sort of uh, vibe to it. Where like when a note happens, when a when a a key changes, when the the chorus comes in, you feel, or at least I do, that like it came in because it had to and it had to be that way and a lot of music like i listen to a lot of music and i can appreciate almost any kind of music very little music makes me feel that way and this particular album from this particular band is one of them the edges of twilight 1995 the tea party
2: well that's a glowing
1: recommendation and if you don't like it you suck <laughs>
0: Ah, uh, I have
2: well, heard of is, the
1: Tea Party, and I'm
0: not sure yeah. that I've ever actually listened to them.
1: Some of the stuff that got like radio play is like their least good stuff, which is why people that know the Tea Party and hear it, they're like, "Oh yeah, I kind of remember them." Eh, I wasn't into it. You know, it is one of those one of those albums where like what would be the equivalent to B side material is is actually the best stuff, and it's the stuff That's... that like nobody's heard. That's often the case, I find,
0: especially with lesser-known bands. Mm.
1: So we are like 17 hours past your bedtime. Oh, at least. You've oh my God, it's almost time. Getting to get up a little work. bit orange. Do <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you have anything stem. before we call it a night?
0: Yeah. uh, I think that's good, man. Uh, I am looking forward to playing some D and D again sometime in the future. So if you need a guest star on a Tuesday night, let me know. Hey,
1: plan a one-shot when you get a little bit of time. Yeah, I'd be too. happy to be a player. I will get on that. All right. Well, it's been good talking to you, man. We promise it won't be two-plus weeks before the next episode, hopefully. Knock on wood. Four, four days. <laughs> um, hey, if you want to uh, make any recommendations for the show, submit anything to the pod bag. Uh, send us an email, uh, podbag at nerdingundertheinfluence.com. We'd love to hear you. Um, We're everywhere. Yeah, we're everywhere, you know, Uh, like us on YouTube, subscribe. Uh, If you listen to us on, on Apple, you know what? We'd love a five-star review or a four-star review. Um, Or a one-star review. Those work too. Yeah, that might be counterproductive, but Hey, if you want to leave us a one-star review, if you've listened, I don't know, what is this going to be? Two and a half hours into the episode to to have us (laughs) beg you for engagement. Uh, then you leave whatever review you want to leave. Uh, We'll appreciate it. We'll like it. Yeah.